Hello, it's uh, Michael Taylor here of Coldwater Economics. Um, it's the 8th of May, and uh, well, earlier this week I wrote a piece called uh, Abroad Thoughts from Home, and I thought I'd like to share it. Um, and its genesis was, uh, well, it was odd. I wonder if it's like this for you. Uh, a couple of days ago I was Skyping uh, with someone I've known for years, decades actually. He's uh, not British, he lives abroad, but he's got a flat in London and he's a regular visitor and from time to time when he's over I pop down to see him. Uh, sometimes I'm quite lax about that but uh, he, you know that's how it works. And over the years um, his friendship is something I've come to value quite deeply. So we were talking on Skype, talking economics as usual, and it sort of dawned on me that quite possibly I might not actually see him again for years. After all, there's no effective vaccine against COVID-19, and I'm not particularly hopeful there's going to be one anytime soon. When international travel opens up again, my guess is it's going to involve doctors, appointments, certificates, quarantines. Air ticket prices are going to be running at multiples of what we're used to. So I wonder how often he's going to get over to London or how often I'm going to be able to get over to where he lives. And then I thought of all the people around the world who I consider to be, you know, my core friendship group. And uh, I started mourning. Mourning. I was surprised at how much this impending split mattered to me. Anyway, next night, I found myself awake at three or four in the morning. It's not unusual. Uh, what was unusual was that um, instead of fretting, I was just sort of thinking, and I was thinking about how one should think about this process of deglobalization. Now, my natural reaction um, is always to think, okay, let's think about economic history. And uh, it was all I could do to restrain myself from getting up and uh, getting my favorite book, which is British uh, Historical Statistics. Great book, by the way. Um, if you want to know what the price of bread was pay um, paying in Eton or Winchester in the 12th or 13th century, that's the thing for you. Anyway, I was looking at it, thinking about it, and wondering whether what would be uh, a similar period of deglobalization outside of war. Um, and I thought about, well, maybe we could look at Europe in the 16th century after the Thirty Years' War, maybe. Uh, or Britain, uh, it's, it's 17th century during uh, Oliver Cromwell's protectorship. My guess is that we were pretty deglobalized there. Or I could have looked at, um, uh, from the 19th century, between the Congress of Vienna and the 1848 revolutions, I mean, there was a concerted effort to uh, deglobalize in um, response and revocation of the impact of the French Revolution. Strangely enough, I also found myself wondering about AIDS and how HIV had changed gay sexual behavior and expectations. Well, it's all pretty dark stuff, but my mood and expectations are darkening because I'm beginning to wonder whether, in any real sense, we're going to get to a time after coronavirus. 
as I said, I'm skeptical that scientists are going to be able to come up with a vaccine that is of anything more than transitory use. I find it alarming that COVID seems to be able to hit not just your lungs, but your heart, your kidneys, your liver, your brain, your gut, your blood. And I'm reading stories about how those who've already had it discover that not only are they not immune, but they turn out to be more vulnerable to a second uh, a reinfection. Um, I just uh, look at this, and I think we have to take seriously the possibility that this virus is unusual, and it was bred um, in, in, in the Wuhan laboratory, not out of ill intent or out of military use, but as a... Um, sort of devising a red team monster which they could practice against. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's darkening. And if there's no cure, then the best we can hope for in the medium term is a better range of treatments which can make it survivable. Again, like HIV. Anyway, I was thinking this, these thoughts and uh, pictures running through my head, and one of the pictures that ran through my head at the time was... Strange, it was, uh, it was uh, these thick transatlantic fiber optic cables coming up out of the Atlantic onto a British pe uh, beach and then people just hacking their way through them, literally physically breaking the links which form the infrastructure of globalization. Great chunks of optical fiber being chopped up, chopped up basically as they emerge from the sea. And... At that point, I thought, this is absolutely ridiculous. It's an absolutely ridiculous vision. And I stick with that. The networks of information, of finance, of commerce, ideas, and friendships, which have grown up around the world and which basically structure our lives in so many ways, these are far too dense, ubiquitous, multifaceted and valuable um, th these are not going to be lost, even without a vaccine. COVID-19 isn't going to drive us into a deglobalized world. Even without a vaccine, COVID-19 can't drive us into a deglobalized world. The globalized world is here to stay, but the way in which it's interpreted may change. And, and once again, uh, forgive me, but I'm thinking of how HIV changed the world's gay sex life. Not something I'm an expert on, I have to say. But even so, the trajectory from the 1970s to today is pretty clear. Uh, Pre-AIDS, you had uh, what you might call the San Francisco bathhouse culture uh, of, uh, I think, you know, I'm not trying to be rude, but careless promiscuity. Um, and that kind of closed down. The last gay bathhouse in San Francisco, I understand, cl uh, closed in 1987. And from there, we've gone to the current ultra-respectability of gay marriage. This is um, a dramatic change in, in, in behavior, uh, which, might, which I've sort of called going from casual to committed, from casual promiscuity to committed long-term, stable relationships. And maybe that's, in some ways, what we should expect COVID-19 to do to, do to globalization. It's going to raise all sorts of costs, all sorts of risks. And what's going to suffer is not globalization per se, but what I might call casual globalization.
casual globalization, the habit, the assumption that you can just jet off anywhere without a thought in the world for a holiday or for a stag night. Or, let's face it, um, as a global economist, I think back to uh, my life as an economist based in Asia, and I spent oh, so much of my time on planes, either running around Asia doing what you might call guerrilla um, economic reports, or then running around the rest of the world um, trying to sell them. Uh, either that or bond issues. Uh, and even after I left the industry, that didn't stop me traveling. Uh, I remember going and hiring a flat in Beijing for uh, a few months, uh, hoping to pick up some Mandarin. And so it goes on and on. We've all done it. Now, you've got to ask yourself, uh, this sort of uh, frenetic global circumambulation, good words, that frenetic global circumambulation, is that really anything less casual than the gap year in Goa, the school trip to Namibia, which my daughter did to, quote, help build a school, but which looked very nice, or even the stag night in Prague or the rave in Ibiza? Yet when I look back on all these things, on these travels, the people I really admired is precisely what I might call committed globalists. These are the guys who... Whatever they're doing, they've basically shared, what they share is a, a long-standing commitment and a profound interest in the part of the world in which they've chosen to live. Um, I'm not going to name names, but uh, you probably know who you are. Uh, a surprising number of you have written books, though quite often writing isn't what you do. Or you've just labored for years and decades to build or support businesses. These are the, the foundation stones, the absolute foundation stones, the robust human infrastructure which has allowed us casual globalists to know that options were open, that there were wide possibilities out there. I don't think COVID is going to make much difference to their lives. Most likely, if anything, it's going to make them more valuable because of their role in straddling different cultures. So I'm going to call this the eclipse of casual globalization. And uh, it can be expected to shuffle the winners and the losers. Uh, the immediate comparative winners are going to be obviously local specific companies servicing domestic economies. Um, and I, my guess is they're going to be rather different from the sort of cookie cutter model of product supply and delivery, which we've got used to with, with globalization. Um, and if that's the case, then we've got a second winner, and that's local stock markets. And it may even be, and here, hold your breath for uh, a bombshell, it may even be that uh, that favorite theory of uh, emerging market managers, i.e. decorrelation of markets, might actually begin to have something to it. I mean, you know, let's face it, we've been talking about it for 30, 35 years, and it's always been, uh, shall we say, a difficult self, if you think about it. Maybe its time will come. A couple of final thoughts. Committed globalist companies, guys who really mean it, who've really put the time and the money and the faith and the capital behind it 
Yeah, they're going to find their immediate costs rising, even as their immediate growth prospects actually recede. But in the longer term, they're also going to face less competition and less casual cutthroat competition. The years of, 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 of casually throwing an investment into China via Hong Kong probably not going to be quite as vibrant as before. So the winnowing out of those casual globalists will probably be good news for committed globalists. And finally, and in its last, it's actually certainly not least, if the casual globalization model has been a significant factor in the distortion of Western capitalism, which, you know, I think it has been. Uh, and I wrote about this in a piece um, uh, I called Our Time, Where It Went Wrong. Then, who knows, maybe the eclipse of casual globalism may lead to a rediscovery of growth through investment and earnings, productivity improvements, delivering an economic resilience which is less imbalanced than the one we've become used to. Um, as some of you know, there's an eternal trilemma between efficiency, equity, and sustainability. And one of the things we're learning right now is that the wholehearted and rampant uh, pursuit of efficiency means uh, you lose something in equity and sustainability. And maybe if the years, if the decades of casual globalization are going into eclipse, maybe we will learn a little bit more or adjust our model a little bit more um, to become less fragile, uh, less distorted in terms of how companies make profits, and who knows, uh, maybe, and this is a long shot, maybe a little uh, bit more equity as well. Well, if you have been listening, thank you very much. Um, I'm attempting to uh, make these things useful, and I hope they are. Thank you. Bye.